Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Good morning and welcome to the Lord's Day. It's a joy to gather together in the house of the Lord. You know, this week I had the distinct, and I knew it, it was just a God-given sense of how wonderful it is to have a good church home. On the campus this week, we witnessed so many great things happening, strategic preparation for evangelism in the offices, meals being cooked, people being counseled, gospel literature being printed. We had a celebration of life service. We had a youth retreat. We had Bible education. And I was standing in the pulpit this week and just overwhelmed with the wonderful sense of how great it is to be in this beautiful auditorium, all dedicated just to expounding God's holy word and to fellowship with God's people. I'll tell you what, when Jesus founded the church, he knew what he was doing. Before he left this earth, he said, get into church and stay there. And uh, I'm glad for those of you who are online, and I know for many of you, you would love to be here. And for some medical reason or other, you can't be here. Please know we love you. We're praying for you. And then for some of you, I know you've been kicking around the idea to uh, get into church. Well, let me just say, there could not be a better time than the beginning of the year to go ahead and just say, you know what? I'm going to do what the Lord said. He said one day out of seven is to be dedicated to the Lord. Notice what he said, six days a man works, not seven. So take that day and give it to the Lord. And also, I just want to say how much we covet your prayers. Now please take our prayer card that's in your little worship folder there, or there is some of them out there on the little kiosks as you walk out. But uh, So pray with us. And pray for me. If you look at the back, you'll know what I'm talking about there. But uh, big family, and we're grateful for them. And yes, uh, I do know all their names. And uh, not their birthdays. I don't even know my kids' birthdays. But I know, the, I know my wife's birthday. That's important to do. All right. Well, we are excited about this month of January here. Because we are going to be in the amazing book, the last book of the Bible, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. We're calling this series Revelation Revealed, and today's message specifically is the second half of chapter 16, the sixth and seventh bowl judgments. Now, if you have not been part of our studies in the book of Revelation over the last few years, you might feel a little bit suspended or kind of lost because you don't know what we've done before. Here's basically how we've chosen to do it. I've chosen to do it. And that is to basically take one chapter a year, verse by verse, 
word by word in a study that allows enough time to really examine it fully, but not just month after month, so much so that we become overwhelmed with all the details. And then I've chosen to do it at the beginning of the year, so maybe as a healthy reminder of the second coming, to keep our lamps all trimmed and ready, because the Bible says the bridegroom cometh. The old spiritual says it this way, keep your lamps trimmed and burning, for the time is drawing nigh. Children, don't grow weary, for the time is drawing nigh. Lo, the morning soon is breaking, for the time is drawing nigh. Christian journey soon be o'er. The time is drawing nigh. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning. And so this year, our plan is to finish chapter 16 today, the Lord willing. And then we will wade through over the next three Sundays the very important 17th chapter of Revelation on the next three first days. This chapter describes the coming one world religion. Now the book of Revelation is sometimes referred to as the apocalypse. The apocalypse. The word apocalypse comes from the Greek word apokalupsis, which means revealing or to take off the cover. If you were to go to one of the lexicons, or maybe go to blueletterbible.org, that's the one I use often, and you were to click there on the lexicon, you would find that the very first word in the Greek New Testament, in the book of Revelation, is the word apocalypsis. So it begins like this, apocalypse, or revealing. Now, there are other books in the Bible that are actually apocalypses. They are books that unveil and give us symbols, images, numbers to depict future events. There are a lot of revealing in the book of Daniel, for example, from Isaiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah. Now, symbols and images are powerful teaching methods. Let me talk for just a moment about our Lord and His methods of teaching. Our Savior was a master teacher. Thousands would gather to hang on His every word. And what He said literally changed the world. But not only what He said, if you'll study closely, the way He said it was so unique. He used so many different ways to teach. For example, he used plays on words. We see that especially in the Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes uh, he used poetry or sermonic smithing, as it were. His most common way of teaching was to ask questions. He was constantly asking the crowd questions. Questions are powerful. They form a way of inductive teaching. He used repetition. Over and over again, he would repeat something. He used visuals, and then, of course, his style itself was very straightforward. He was bold. He was unequivocal, not mean especially, just straightforward. He would say something like, well, you've heard it then said, but here's what I'm going to tell you, meaning this is what the Bible says. He told stories. In the Bible, we call those parables. 
in those parables from fictitious stories, he brought powerful spiritual truths. Interesting to use a fallible story to teach an infallible truth, like the prodigal. And then Jesus used shock and awe, I'll say. He used ex outrageous examples. For example, things that would use to surprise, kind of uh, arrest people's attention. Anything to get them to listen. For example, he said, you know what? If you're sinning, maybe what you ought to do is rip your eyes out and cut your hands off. Woo, man, that's some strong wording, right? <laughs> I mean, you talk about making a point. That is a point for sure. Now, I say all that to preface the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is a teaching method that we could call shock and awe. God is using these dramatic pictures to teach us something. And if we have a brain in our head, we'll listen. Now, God is a loving God. But you can't read the book of Revelation without knowing that he's also a holy God. And because he is a holy God, he must pour out his wrath against sin. Make no mistake about it. God loves you. But he loves you so much that if need be, he will scare you into heaven. You know, back in the 70s and the decades following, there was a program in the communities called Scared Straight Programs. Some good people in law enforcement and other agencies attempted to motivate some young people by a, trying to show them the consequences of their actions. And so they would take them to jail and other places like that just to show them, you don't want to come here. They called it Scared Straight Program. Well, I might say this. The book of Revelation is God's Scared Straight Program. And if you have any sense at all, you will receive it. Sometimes people say, oh, I don't like the book of Revelation. It's scary. Uh, yeah, it's supposed to be scary. It's meant to be scary. It is supposed to scare you into heaven, hopefully. If you have any sense at all, you'll receive that. But not only is it a scared straight program, I think we could call it a blessed straight program in that, as it says in Revelation 1 and verse 3, blessed are people who read this chapter. Now, no other book in the Bible has this beatitude, but this one does. Blessed are you if you read the book of Revelation? I remember one person saying they read that and God just spoke to them that they should memorize the book of Revelation. <laughs> wow. But, I mean, amazing. Blessed are those that read it and hear it, the words of this prophecy, and more importantly, that keep it. Now, we have been blessed over these Januaries, over the years. We have studied and we have read, we have heard. And I think that verse has certainly borne fruit in my life. I've been so blessed. And I hope you have been too. Today, one of the most unusual, shocking, and little talked about prophecies in the Bible. And that is the prophecy of the three frogs and the last bowl judgment. Do you know what it is? Well, if you don't, you need to listen because it has a vital meaning for us even today. A professor from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, was preaching in Nevada. 
the normally reserved professor put his whole heart into this sermon. And he called for people in the congregation to repent, get right with God, and come and serve the Lord. At the end of the message, he declared, you need to repent, turn from your sin. So, Buster, if you are here today and your heart is not right, come down to this altar. So they gave the invitation. The professor came down from the pulpit, came to the altar himself. The pastor did as well. Much of the church did before the invitation ended. A young man came down to the altar and looked directly at that professor and he said, Doctor, he said, my name is Buster and I want to get my heart right today. True story. Now, your name may not be Buster, but I want you to know this message has your name on it. And I hope you're listening because I read your email and you need this message today. Father, I thank you and bless you. Lord, I'm grateful to be able to preach this message. And as the week has gone by, the weeks have gone by, Lord, as I have thought about this and prayed about it, I've become so just enraptured by your wisdom, by your love, by your mercy, and in awe of your wrath. Teach us, Lord, this message. I pray the Lord will just lay aside anything for the next few minutes that may be troubling us or overwhelming us or just getting our mind off of what we're needing to listen to. Bless those that are joining us even around the world, Lord, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, sometimes in the Bible, God gives us a God-given outline of a book. And it would appear the Holy Spirit has done that in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19 says, Write these things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. And so the book of Revelation appears to be easily divided into three parts. First of all, things which thou hast seen. Past. Things which thou hast seen. The past. In chapter 1, when you read it, you will know that this is a tremendous vision of an exalted Christ. As we sang a moment ago, he is alive. He's risen. And then it is things which are. Things that are present. And that's chapters 2 and 3, and in chapters 2 and 3, you know those are the preaching subject to the churches there, seven churches, and so we find Christ ministering in his church. These two chapters are tremendous for us because they really involve where we're at, the present. And then now in our book of Revelation where we've been for a time, things which shall be hereafter, the future. Now, from chapters 4 through chapter 22, in the book of Revelation, it's all talking about future things. In chapters 4 through 18, judgment. Seven, three sets of seven. And then chapter 18, the, excuse me, chapter 19, the climactic return of Christ. The millennium, chapter 20. And then the eternal state, chapters 21 and 22. So that's a very simple and quick outline of the book of Revelation. So where are we? We're in chapter 16, so we're right in the very end of all the time of judgment. This is where Jesus takes back 
the universe which has been in the hands of a usurper for generations. And hallelujah, <laughs> friends, things aren't falling apart. They are falling together. And that's what we see in the book of Revelation. In fact, the final years of humanity here on earth are being unveiled as we speak. Earth-shattering weather events. I just read this morning about India. The heat index there, they said by 2050, will be, especially in southern India, will pretty much be unlivable for most people. Hurricanes, fires, floods, widespread epidemics, civil disorder. All of these are just a sampling of the tribulation period when all of that just goes into overdrive. And so this morning, we're going to be looking into this beautiful time in the last of the judgments. Now, in chapter 6 and 7, there were seven seal judgments. God opened up a scroll and seven distinct seals there. And each time he opened up the scroll, there would be a different judgment. And then we had seven trumpets. Trumpets were often used to announce something, good or bad. And then finally, the vile judgments, V-I-A-L, or bowl judgments. And so uh, last year, we went through these contagious sores contaminated seas, corrupted streams, consuming sun, and confounded sinners. And today, two more, the final two, controlling spirits and a cataclysmic shaking. Friends, every time you see something happen in the world, don't just say, oh, that was a terrible weather disaster. Friends, no matter what it is, it is just a little taste of what is to come because God is the one who has this earth in his hands. And as we're told in the book of Matthew, this earth is suffering labor pains. Now, this morning, we're in the last of the seven judgments known as the bowl judgments, poured out by seven different angels. This is the final wrath of God before his coming. You'd say, well, why all this talk about fire and brimstone about the wrath of God? I mean, isn't that kind of doom and gloom, Pastor? Well, let me allow God to answer whether it's a good thing to talk about the wrath of God that's coming. Look at chapter 16, verse number 7. Chapter 16, verse number 7, even so. That means yes, <laughs> Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. Friend, don't ever call God bad because he is telling us about his judgments. He is true and just. Just because the wacko and the woke don't like it doesn't mean a thing. Because the fact of the matter is, God has offered the free plan of salvation and mankind will have refused it and refused it and refused it. And might I add, the simple plan of salvation. And so after warning upon warning, you'd say, well, I just don't like this. It just seems so wrong for God to be so mean. Friends, God has given everybody chance after chance. There have been 19 separate judgments to this point and all the warm-ups that are going on now, many altar calls, from salvation, 
from both men and angels, men of God, preaching Jewish men, drone angels, as it were, preaching in every language. Nobody is without excuse. Every language, every person in the remotest jungle has heard the gospel by this moment. The Bible says everybody has heard. Nobody is without excuse. And so then God is just in all that he does. What will I tell God on Judgment Day when the pages of my life begin to unfold? How will I react to what he has to say? When everything about me disclosed, what will I tell God on Judgment Day? When I stood with my hand, stand with my head bowed low, will I have to defend the life I've made? While living on the earth below, what will I tell God on Judgment Day? There'll be no one else to blame. Will all my inner fears be stayed when my final resting place he proclaims? And so today, let's look prayerfully now at this final sixth and seventh bowl. The sixth bowl is controlling spirits. Controlling spirits. The sixth angel pours out his bowl on the river Euphrates. Look at verse 12. In fact, let's read verse 12 together, if you would, please. All right, ready, begin. Out loud. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was drying up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Now, God takes a specially designed saucer, as it were, a big bowl, and it's a picture, but he, fall, he pours it and it falls out on the river Euphrates. It's called a great river. Why is it called a great river? Well, because it is one of the world's great rivers. There are many great rivers in the world, the Nile, the Mississippi. The Euphrates actually is the longest river in Western Asia. At about 1,700 miles long, it has a drainage area when it ends of about 175,000 square miles that covers six countries. From the north, its headwaters and also its twin river, Tigris, begin on the top of Mount Ararat. And we know where that mount is. That happens to be the parking spot of Noah's Ark. Well, similar to this area, that area gets their water from snowmelt. And so Mount Ararat at 17,000 feet gets lots of snow. It flows down to an area known as the Fertile Crescent where once the Garden of Eden was. Now, the Euphrates Rivers is not only here in the book of Revelation, but we also know that it is actually uniquely, which you wouldn't know today, but it is actually the eastern boundary of the land that God gave to Israel. In Genesis 15, verse number 18, God gave Abraham and Isaac and Jacob a royal grant to them and their seed. It goes from the sea to the river. It's an interesting phrase that you hear supporters of Hamas saying today. But from the sea to the river is the land that God gave to Israel. It includes Israel, the West Bank, all of Lebanon, a half of Syria, two-thirds of Jordan, all of Iraq, and the northern portion of Saudi Arabia. Now, why do I even bring that up? Well, it's in the news right now, and I think it's good to settle in our minds that all of this land has actually been given to Israel. 
But I think it also plays into maybe why the kings of the east come. But let's talk about three important facts now. First of all, a drying deluge. Of all things, the Euphrates River stops. I mean, it just dries up. The bowl of judgment is poured out on it, and the water dries up. Now, we should remember that the Euphrates River will be different than we know it today. Why? Because back in verses 8 and 9 of this chapter, chapter 16, we know that there was a scorching sun. The Bible says that he poured out heat in Revelation chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. And so God poured out this heat upon the mankind. As a result, likely, the polar ice caps melted. Experts say that if the oceans, if the ice caps were to have melted, it would rise the ocean by 200 feet. That would mean that many of the Low-lying cities in the world would be covered. Certainly the Fertile Crescent would be. And so it would become a massive flood plain. Then not only is it flooded, but chapter 16, verse number 10 says it's dark. Very dark. I mean, he pours out darkness upon the earth. So first of all, in terrible heat, melts everything. And then darkness we saw. Now, why is this important? Well, that means people are going to be flipping on their lights. Well, the electric grid that we have today is already stressed. Everybody trying to plug in everything, and days to come, it'll be even worse. You can imagine then that they're going to, everybody's going to plug in something, and I mean, it's going to go absolutely dark. Look at verse number 12. Again, the water thereof was dried up, though, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. So it goes from a dark floodwaters to now, somehow, it just hot and it dries up. Now, why does it do that? Well, God specifically says why. So that the kings of the east might be prepared. An interesting word there, the word east. If you look again at your Greek lexicon, it is the word anatela or anatala. It actually means rising star. And so, let's say it this way. The kings of the rising star, or the word star, of course, means our, the star we see all the time is the sun. So you could say it this way, the kings of the rising sun. It's interesting, the kings of the east, Japan's flag is the rising sun. God dries up the Euphrates River, so an Asian coalition of Leaders and countries can come, India, China, Japan, Southeast Asia, Korea, whomever. Their plan is to come and access Israel, the Eastern world. They're all coming, as well as others, to Israel. Now, they're not coming for tourist time. They're not coming to see uh, any of the ruins or something. God has prompted them to come. Now, they think they're coming for some other reason, but it is God that prompted them to come. It is a summons. God the Holy Spirit has issued a divine summons, and they are coming to their own execution. Now, why are they coming? Well, they might think they're coming because maybe there's all kinds of uh, rich minerals. And I know they just discovered a big uh, trove of uh, lithium up in Nevada. Everybody's all excited. Lithium is what's used in all these batteries. Maybe they're going to find some kind of 
mineral there and it's going to be uh, hoarded and people are going to say, no, you need to share it. Or maybe uh, solidarity, uh, the Asian solidarity, solidarity with uh, the Arabic nations, like even today, China in uh, solidarity with uh, Iraq and Iran. <coughs> but they hate the Israeli people. They hate them because they feel like for some reason they're causing trouble in the world. <coughs> and so they are here to uh, do what they can to take care of Israel. And then here's what happens. Look at verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. And so not only is it a drying deluge, the river stops so that the kings of the east can come, but number two, a dirty demon, frog-like spirits come out of the mouth of these three that we're going to talk about. Something that sounds like out of a horror movie, doesn't it? And here are these frogs coming out of the mouth of this unholy trinity. Who is the unholy trinity? First of all, the dragon. The dragon is none other than the angel Lucifer, Satan we're talking about. And then the beast, who is the Antichrist, that is a satanically infilled human that has this amazing political ability. And then the final member of the unholy trinity is the false prophet, a fake world religious leader whom we'll be speaking about next week and the weeks following. This person is the one who constantly is promoting the Antichrist. He's the one who builds an image to the Antichrist, gets the whole world to worship the Antichrist. These three are inseparable allies. And out of each of their mouths comes unclean spirits like slimy frogs. Why out of their mouth? Well, the source of speech is... <clears throat> perhaps the, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, source of influence. These three men, these three, I should say, are influencers. Notice it says that they are like frogs. So it's not exactly frogs that come out of their mouth. Now, real frogs are a good example, however. You see a picture here of the uh, golden frog, golden poison frog found in the rainforest of Colombia. Interesting about frogs are they're one of the most uh, dirty of all animals in the world. Most frogs, as most amphibians, carry salmonella, and they thrive in very nasty places, poisonous and dirty. You could say dirty and deadly. I think a very perfect way to, to illustrate the things that comes out of the mouth of the people in that day. And by the way, I think a good way to illustrate what comes out of the mouth of the left today. Most in the media today, most talking heads are dirty and deadly words come out of their mouth. Verse number 14 says it very clearly. They are the spirits. They're not frogs really, but they're dirty and they're just deadly. They're poisonous. They are spirits. They are demons. The most revolting, disgusting, dirty, nasty things come out of their mouth. What will this coalition of Eastern nations, why will they come? What's going on here? Why would they come? They are induced by demons. That's why they're coming. 
Now, they don't know that, but they are being demon-led. And I will tell you, when you see what's going on in the world today, that's all we can simply say. It is just demonic. It is not. It's just past anything we ever even imagined. And how are they persuaded? Notice what it says. They are working miracles. And so earth-shattering phenomena takes place, or at least the illusion of it. And that's important to realize. You know, today... Um, with AI and deep fakes, it's really almost impossible to tell truth from reality. And so during that day, people, all people having their own little phone will see things. Maybe that will really happen. Maybe it won't happen. But verse 13, it says here that they, um, back in verse, chapter 13, verse 13, it says they perform great miracles. But that's exactly what Jesus said also in Mark 13 and verse 22, false Christ, false prophets shall arise, and they will show signs and wonders to seduce as if it were possible, even the elect. Thank God it's not possible. Thank God that once you're saved, you're always saved. But it's going to be so convincing that it, it would deceive even the elect. Now, it seems no rational explanation. Why would this coalition of Eastern nations take all that time and money and effort to cross all those miles, to come across that floodplain in the dark, in the scorching heat, but they do. Why? Because they're demonically deceived by these dirty spirits that come out of the mouth of this unholy trinity. But you know, we see that even today. People that don't even make any sense at all. You see signs they hold up and they say, abortion is health care. Who would think something like that? You have to be demonic in your mind to imagine that killing someone is good health care. Dirty demons are able to convince the whole world. And notice what it says that they convinces them to do, to come and to battle that great day of the God Almighty. So these demons are going to persuade the leaders of these Asian nations and all their people to cross all these miles Millions of them are going to come to Israel to a war that hasn't begun, but it's about to begin. And by the way, in one sense, that war has already begun. We see it even now. The Old Testament firebrand Joel talked about it. Joel chapter 3 and verse 9. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty man. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Bleacher. Beat your plowshares into swords, your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause, ye mighty ones, come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen. This is a time, Joel talks about, how the book of Revelation talks about, all the leading nations of the world, not just the East, but all of them really are going to come to do battle in Israel. And it's really, they're just coming to fight against God, not might. But it's going to be the war of all wars. It's the culmination of all wars. And they're going to come from every part of the earth, every means possible. They're going to come in boats. They're going to come in planes. They're going to come in trains and buses and helicopters and drones and you name it. They're going to get here. And so the whole world is going to basically gather together to the Middle East. It's an event described in Daniel chapter 11. 
The Apostle Paul also talked about it in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 6, saying it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. To those whose troubled breath would up when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not what, that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And he shall be come to be glorified in his saints, to be admired in all of them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in vain. Basically, God is going to come. It's going to be a battle. It's not going to last long. It's going to be over very, very quick. But the world feels like they can annihilate God's chosen people and they can destroy Jesus. Good luck with that. It's not happening now and it won't happen long. Here's how the war ends. We're told in Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 11, and I can't wait to get there. And I saw heaven open in the white horse. And he that sat upon him was called true, faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. What's going to happen? This battle is going to be smashed. And he is going to smash them with a rod of iron. And he's going to grind them into juice. And that's how it ends. The iconic Baptist pastor Charles Spurgeon said, if you haven't looked at Christ on the cross, you're going to have to look at him on the cross and the throne and with great suffering. And so three important facts, a dying to lose, a dirty demon, and then finally, thank the Lord, a delightful diversion, a gracious thing. A little parenthesis here, verse number 15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that washeth and keepeth his garment, lest he walk naked and they see it in his garment. A gracious warning here from the Lord Jesus that he's coming like a thief, that is, suddenly, quickly, unannounced, quietly. Like Revelation 22 and verse 7 says, Behold, I come quickly. Thieves come unexpectedly. Now the imagery here is actually a positive illustration, not a negative one. The idea is kind of this, that you're a security guard, you're a soldier, so be on guard. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garment, lest he walk naked. Meaning, keep on your guard, keep your weapons ready. Don't, uh, don't lose sight of the goal. Don't lose focus. And you'll be glad you did because when this all goes down, you're going to be dressed in the righteousness of Christ. Be blessed by that. And that's exactly what John the Beloved said in 1 John chapter 2. And now, little children... Abide in him, 1 John 2, 28. When he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. The old hymn says it this way. Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone. So the idea here is just a little respite, a little gracious blessing saying, Keep your, keep everything trimmed and ready. Make sure you keep your armor on. So now we're going to go to the seventh bowl. The sixth bowl, controlling spirit, frog-like spirit, dirty and dangerous and deadly. And now the seventh bowl, a cataclysmic takeover. Let's read verse 16 together, please. Let me begin. And he gathered them together into a place which is called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Sixty miles north of Jerusalem is a mountain called Megiddo. 
At the foot of that, to the west, is a plain of Megiddo. Throughout history, over 200 battles have been fought there. It is reported that Napoleon saw it and said it's the greatest battlefield that's in the face of the earth. You may remember King Saul had battles there, and he actually died there. It is the battlefield of all battlefields. In a great final war gathering, it will bleed over to other areas, but that's the center of it. In fact, we are told back in chapter 14, it's a battlefield stretches at least 200 miles. Chapter 14, verse number 20. Here's how Zechariah chapter 14 and verse number 1 says, Behold, the day of the Lord's coming. Zechariah 14, verse 1, And thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and houses rifled, and women ravished, and half of the city shall go into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against the nations that he has sought to save up. By far, this will be the greatest, the biggest, the most terrible, cataclysmic battle of all time. Devastating. The greatest catastrophe the earth has ever known. Well, what's going to happen? First of all, there will be an atmospheric eruption. An atmospheric eruption, verse number 17. And the seventh angel poured out his vial. So they've all gathered to the valley. And what happens there? First of all, the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple saying, from the throne, saying, it is done. So in the atmosphere, this angel just pours out. You see, a great eruption layered as it circles the earth. You know, the Bible says that Satan is the prince and the power of the air. Apparently, somehow, the demons and Satan are all functioning quite handily in this ozone, this atmospheric sphere. God will cleanse this last satanic domain. And it says he speaks with a great voice. Assuming that that is God, it seems like it must be God. The word great means loud there, actually. By the way, seven times in this passage it talks about great, loud, the voice of God in wrath. Why is it loud? Because God is saying this is his final wrath. This is the final judgment. There's been 20 judgments. This is the last one before the coming of our Lord. Notice what it says here. It is done. This verse says, it is done. Interesting phrasing there. It's the same word that Jesus used on the cross. It is done, he cried out. means it is finished. And by the way, the same judgment that the Lord poured out on this earth, God the Father poured out on his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus took that for us. His mercy endures forever. And until this very point, he's still willing to save somebody. There's an atmospheric eruption. Number two, there is an active earthquake. Just like Jesus when he died on the cross, there was an earthquake. When Jesus said it is finished, there was an earthquake. Here God said it is done, and there's an earthquake. Verse 18, and there were many voices and thunders and lightnings and a great earthquake. Such as not was since the men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. Worldwide earthquake. No place is spared. Everything is shaken because God is going to remake the earth. It's the greatest shaking that there's ever been. Did you know that this earth that we live in is not made to last? And I know the earth lovers, they want to 
preserve it forever. But the fact of the matter is, folks, this earth has a use-by date on it. And try as they will, it is a cursed earth, and God is going to remake it and uh, redo it, even the atmosphere around this earth. The solar system as we know it, which, by the way, is already breaking up. Chunks are flying around <laughs> off of these asteroids and other places, and they're just missing the earth. But it's soon not going to miss. It's going to just slam right into the earth. And this earth has fractured ever since the deluge and Noah's day when God opened up the earth. The fractures have never healed up. And all just always moving. I read an NBC report this week that said over the last decade, earthquakes have tripled. Worldwide earthquakes have tripled. Folks, this world is shaking. It sounds to me like what Haggai said in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 6. For the Lord saith of hosts, yet once is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake the nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. By the way, He is the desire of your heart. People say, oh, I don't hunger for something. I know what you're hungry for. You're hungry for Jesus. Everybody's hungry for Jesus. All the nations need Jesus. They say, we need peace, we need money, we need climate control. No, what you need is Jesus. He is the desire of every person, the desire of all nations. God's coming. He said, I will come and I'll fill this house with glory. I shook it once and I'm going to shake it again like it's never been shaken. And then verse 19 of Revelation 16, and the great city, there's that word again, was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine and the fierceness of his wrath. What city is he talking about here? Well, it's different from Babylon because he shows us difference from Babylon in this verse. By the way, Babylon will be rebuilt. Maybe not the big uh, tower there, but the, the city of Babylon. It appears that Babylon is going to be the center of the Antichrist his regime. It also is a symbol of the government that goes on. That's what we're going to be talking about next week. But we're told that this city breaks up and uh, whatever city they're talking about, and it would appear they're talking about, the Holy Spirit is talking about Jerusalem. We can compare that with Zechariah chapter 14, for example. In Zechariah chapter 14, verse number 8, in that day, Living waters will go forth from Jerusalem. Really? What? God is going to break open Jerusalem. But rather being a bad thing, it's going to be a good thing. Half of them towards the former sea and half of them towards the kinder sea. And in the summer and the winter it shall be, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day. And the Lord shall, one Lord and his name be one Lord. The cities of the world will be destroyed, but not Jerusalem. Jerusalem can't be destroyed because God has put a promise on it. Psalm 125, verse 1, they that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever and ever. Jesus, we just sang, is the solid rock. And He is. Jesus, of course, and Jerusalem are likened to be the same thing. It says the cities of the nations fell. Every city will fall. <laughs> I laugh over here in our Bay Area city, San Francisco, they have these earthquake-proof buildings. Oh, uh, yeah, right. Wait until that day comes. It won't even, it'll just smash down to the dust. 
Notice what the Holy Spirit says. He says, great Babylon came in remembrance here again. Well, as I mentioned, Babylon is going to be part of the end times. Not only will it be a rebuilt city, but it's actually just a great uh, concept, a wicked concept at that, a religious wicked concept. So an atmospheric eruption, then this great active earthquake, and then an altered earth, verse 20. And every island that fled away. And the mountains were not even found. What? Look out across the ocean. You see these beautiful islands? Hawaii? You better, if you want to visit Hawaii, you better get there. Because it's going to be gone. The islands, because islands are just mountains, right? Just mountains poking through the water. All the mountains were not found. No mountains are found. They're all gone. Look up here in the Sierras. Better take a good look. They're going to be it's going to be flatland. It's going to be a plain. Frightening when you think about it, really. And yet, it's going to be that way. You know, mountains and islands have a great effect on our weather. And it appears, some believe, and it seems uh, plausible, that the Lord during the millennium is going to create a canopy again, like he did back in the time of Adam and Eve. Very likely. Bible says that the, in the millennial kingdom, people are going to live so long that if you die at the age of a hundred, it will be like as though you were a baby. And so things are going to grow bigger. This canopy is going to protect from the ultraviolet rays. And so all the mountains are gone. It's just this big uh, canopy over a plain, a very altered earth, very changed. All the Nature lovers, uh, you better get saved. You better get right with God. An atmospheric eruption, an active earthquake, an altered earth, and then finally an abnormal element. Look at verse 21. And there fell upon men great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. Okay, that is about a hundred pounds, by the way. A hundred pound hailstorm. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, and the plague thereof was exceeding great. I've been in some serious storms. I mean, scary storms. But nothing like some of you folks that were raised or lived in Texas or the south for that. In fact, when we were in, in uh, Colorado this past summer, they got a rental car, and they said, you got to sign a waiver because it's a case of hail. So, I mean, hail comes. They had golf size, golf ball size hail. Well, this says a hundred pound hailstorm. I looked up, a, you know, a five gallon bucket of water. Uh, that's uh, 40 pounds. So almost three times the size of a five gallon bucket of water. Can you imagine a hailstone that big flinging through air? Man, it would just destroy everything. So what happened? So the earth has been flattened. There's this great canopy. And then all of a sudden, these 100-pound hailstones start bombarding everything, just smashing what is left. Now, you would think 20 judgments have gone by. You would think after 20 judgments, and now they're being pelted with hailstones, the everlasting gospel is being preached. You would think people would say, okay, I give up, I accept Christ. But notice what it says. Men blasphemed God. At the very end. I mean, there's no talking to them. Absolutely impossible. Men blasphemed God. 
God didn't make them that way. God made them, we are, we are formed in the image of God. And for us to choose the devil and to choose the Antichrist is because our heart is with God. And they will curse God. They will curse Jesus. And so God, whose mercy endures to the end, will come and has no other option but to fix them. He has given them opportunity after opportunity. Well, I say this this morning, my friend, if you accepted the payment of Christ's blood on the cross, if you have said yes to Jesus, then you have experienced already God's judgment vicariously. God's holy wrath, God's vengeance, all of it was already poured out on Christ for us. Oh, the rest to know that all that we're talking about is not for you, it's not for me. If you have been saved, then the wrath of God has already been poured out on Christ. I've told this story, but I'd like to close with this. It's a perfect example. A pioneer family was traveling across the western plains in a cut of land, only to watch in horror as a huge prairie fire rushed towards them, driven by a strong wind. They were afraid they'd be killed by the fire. But then an experienced wagon boss acted quickly. He jumped down, lit the prairie grass around their wagons on fire. And as the fire set burned downwind, he then pulled the wagons back out onto the burned out area. And his family stood there as the fire swept past. My friend, there's only one place where the fire of God's judgment against sin has already fallen. And that is at the cross of Jesus Christ. Now you can wait to choose and stand before God yourself. That final terrible judgment may be like this. You can choose to stand at the cross where God's wrath against sin has already been borne. I know for me, I'm standing at the cross. Will you join me? Our heads are bowed. And- we hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.